Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Finally, we've been getting over this first big heat wave that's been making its way over across BC and finally getting into some kind of normalcy in terms of the temperature, at least normal enough, where I don't necessarily have to keep all my windows and doors open just to let some kind of breeze in and not let everything in here go a little too stale. But that's just how things have been popping up, and the spring season has been coming to an end, and bits and pieces of summer have finally been able to make their debuts and for the rest of it, but before we get into all of that, I'm just going to go through a couple of pieces of news since it's been pretty busy over the past two weeks by comparison. Although I think I'll just get the quick one out of the way, considering that I know that Jacob is now just going to hound me even more and more, considering that he's a huge fan of the Persona series, and Persona 4 Golden is arguably his favorite, and I know that he's going to be consistently trying to get me to buy where it's like, okay, you've got a Switch, now they got Golden, and now they're going to have Persona 3, and now they're going to have Persona 5 Royal, and all three of them are going to be coming out on October 21st on the Switch system. And I know as soon as that pops up, he's probably even just going to gift it to me during Christmas, so I no longer have an excuse. So I'm really hoping he doesn't hear this, but I think even though he does, I'm probably going to have some kind of time during the holidays to actually go through and finally play my first Persona game and get myself indoctrinated into the series. And so a couple of things have come off of hiatus as well. I mean, for one, we finally ended up getting Hoseki no Kuni a couple weeks back, finally getting, I believe, Chapter 96 for the first time in 19 months, and now Chainsaw Man's second, I don't know, part? Second series? Second season? Whichever you want to call it. Um, essentially, it's, its new part is going to be launching on the Shonen Jump Plus app on July 13th. And so that's going to be really interesting, considering that it's going to be a couple of days just before the con that I've mentioned previously, but I think I'll get to that in a moment. But I'm really curious to see how this is going to pop out and what Fujimoto has in store in terms of bringing this into more of a different setting. Something that's a lot more familiar, but something that Chainsaw Man definitely doesn't seem to have the most natural fit in. And a couple of different anime projects and films have been going through. One of them is going to be Naoko Yamada's first project since, um, sorry, what is it, Heike Monogatari? And so she ended up doing that with Science Saru, I believe, and now she's going to be doing another project with that same studio called Garden of Remembrance. And so it was announced at the, uh, this year's Annecy International Animation Film Festival, and so it seems like it's going to be an anime in particular, so it's not going to be a film, but I'm really curious to see how this is going to go. Is it going to be something similar to what she did in Heike, where it's going to be a couple of renditions on a lot of Japanese history, or is it going to be a more original, original work in something more akin to the modern day? But, well, I definitely trust her, so only time will tell. And now I've always been trying to give myself another opportunity to go back and rewatch the final Evangelion film, 3.0 plus 1.0. And now, it seems by the end of the year I'm going to have the opportunity to do just that, considering that G-Kids officially acquired the North American theatrical and home video rights to the film. So, I really loved 3.0 plus 1.0, and I, I think I went through more than enough of it in uh, one of my year in reviews, but it's definitely a film that I felt like I needed to go back and watch again because there was so much going on that there was too much to consume and too much to analyze and process that I definitely needed to go through and take this experience for multiple viewings. But I never really just found the urge or the incentive to do that until now, considering that it's finally going to be able to have another opportunity, but this time in theaters, considering that it previously only had its theatrical 
or not theatrical, it's worldwide release, and that was only on Amazon Prime. But now the fact that North America is going to be able 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 to something along those lines. Um, so they're finally going to be able to experience this inside the theaters. That's really going to add a new spin onto it. And I'm really curious to see how this is going to be received, considering that, yeah, it was definitely a lot more easier to do this in the middle of the pandemic and the quarantine when you were able to get it through Amazon Prime on streaming. But honestly, this definitely feels like an Evangelion film that would be the best to experience inside of a theater. I don't have any experience in terms of that I didn't go see 3.0 or 3.33. I didn't get to go see that in theaters when it came out because I didn't, like I wasn't a fan of Evangelion at the time. I hadn't seen any of it um, at the time that it came out in the early 2010s. So technically, this is probably going to be my first theatrical experience with the entire franchise, but I'm really curious to see how that's going to add to the experience and see what is going to evolve once it gets to that second viewing. And then another film that I'm really curious, considering that this was definitely out of nowhere in the sense that the Mononoke anime is going to be getting a new film and a stage play coming out in 2023. So this was, so what is it? The live stream celebrating the 15th anniversary. So I believe this was either 2007 or 2008 when this anime came out. And I only ended up watching it not too long ago. I think it was like 2019 or so was when I ended up giving it a shot. So it's not Princess Mononoke. It's not the Monogatari series, but it's definitely something that goes and focuses on traditional Japanese folklore with Mononoke and with the hunter as well. Or not the hunter, I can't remember his name. Ah, that's it, the medicine seller. And so the medicine seller is this entity that requires certain restrictions as well as certain cues to be met in order for him to officially slay or contain a demon. And so it's really curious to see what they were able to do with the multiple stories that were included inside of this series because it's a lot of... It's kind of anthology in the sense that the medicine seller is ageless and he moves through time at a different age that humans do, considering that he can go to a near modern era as well as the past, and that there's always apparitions and there's always something for him to either seal or for him to hunt. So I'm really curious to see what this film is going to entail. It's probably going to be very similar in tone and style to what the previous series was, but if you're really interested in Japanese folklore and myths and apparitions, I would definitely give this one a watch. And then I would say the biggest piece of news that popped up, which there were a couple of different rumblings that were happening in tandem, considering that Studio Orange was finally getting primed to release their new adaptation and their new project, considering that they had recently done uh, Beastar Season 2, as well as did a co-production with Bones on what I believe was Godzilla's singular point. And I was curious to see what they were going to do, considering that I knew that uh, Hoseki no Kuni, Land of the Lustrous, was going to be finally resuming its publication, and I was maybe thinking that in celebration for it coming back into publication that they were going to announce the second season, except they were going to be working on a different manga remake, which is what they were going through, and so that kind of threw that idea out the window, and I was like, what exactly are they going to do? And so they finally officially announced that Studio Orange is going to be animating the new Trigun Stampede anime which is going to be popping up sometime next year in 2023. And this, 
I don't know. It, it, it kind of has me a, a little bummed out where it's just kind of like, ah, oh, great. So we're never just going to get Land of Lustrous Season 2, I guess. But everything that Studio Orange has touched in every single one of their adaptations and every single one of their projects has always been done to a great degree of quality. And I have enjoyed every single work that they've put out over the past seven years. Because it's just like... They did a lot of good uh, CG stuff in Godzilla Singular Point. They did B-Stars. They were helping out through a couple of uh, mecha series as well as their first solo production in Land of Lustrous. And just everything that they have done has a great degree of polish and has completely flipped the whole CG argument on its head, considering that every single show that they've done has been the majority of it is CG and then about a very small minority. So call it 90% CG, 10% 2D when they just have to sprinkle that in depending on the scene, depending on the action and the movement and the dynamic uh, camera sets that they have to do to make the majority of their scenes. But that's I am really curious to see what kind of style they are going to bring to this new Trigun remake because they are going to you know, do a lot of the same stories, considering that the original Trigun anime had to go on a more original route, considering that I don't believe Stampede was done yet, because Trigun Stampede, I believe, is the full name of the manga. And so it wasn't fully completed at the time, I don't think. And so they had to go with an, an original ending, which honestly is fantastic, because Vash vs. Knives, that is easily one of the best one-on-one -on -one anime fights I've seen, period. Like, with the weapons that they use, uh, the, the conflicts, the standoffs, the tension, the different shifts in momentum and dynamics, all of it was amazing. It is easily one of the best one-on-ones that I've seen, period. But I am really, really curious to see how the majority of the CG that they have been able to incorporate in all their productions, how Studio Orange is going to make this style work. And so they have their work cut out for them, especially with the grimy lines that the classic show as well as the manga was able to produce. But if there's any studio that I have complete faith in, Studio Orange is definitely one of them. And so I cannot wait to see what they're going to be able to bring out of this adaptation. So now I guess we can finally get through because the summer 2022 anime season is just around the corner and we have finally gone through and just gotten to the end of the spring season, which to describe in a single word is probably surprising. And thankfully, it was surprising in the best possible way because there was a good chunk of shows that I had no expectations for just completely blew me out of the water and surprised me in terms of how well they were able to incorporate comedy, how well they were able to incorporate action, and how well they were able to make the even the most mundane of activities into something that was incredibly crazy and dynamic and fun to watch. So I guess in terms of the shows that I didn't watch that I want to get out of the way, if there's one show that I didn't watch but I would probably pick up at a later date is probably Kono Healer because I was there for the, I read the first handful of chapters years back when it finally started publication just the deadpan delivery and just the brattiness of the original characters was just so off-putting that I couldn't necessarily go through it just wasn't my kind of comedy but from what I've heard even though the majority of the scores on Mal have been relatively low 
after its finale, it's definitely, like, careened up in terms of, like, how well pe people received not only the ending, but how many people actually caught on to it. And so I'm definitely glad that's the case because it's definitely one of those shows that I think is enhanced by the adaptation rather than going back to what it was in the original uh, manga panels as well as the pages. So a lot was added in terms of sound. So I would definitely, if there was any show that I believed that I missed and would probably have like a fun time with, it would definitely be uh, Kono Healer. So I don't know. Time will tell. I'll just put it on the list and the backlog and see where it goes. Um, Field Hero Season 2. I've heard a lot of people just being done with this, which is definitely making me feel better in the sense of dropping it about five episodes into the first season, where people are just getting real impatient and really annoyed with how the most with how the latest arcs have been going. And so with that, I'm really curious to see how the rest of it is going to translate into because uh, they're, they're because of how popular it is, it's definitely going to get a third season. But it's just from all the stuff that I saw from Mother's Basement video and the summarization of season one that apparently it did have a really interesting idea to pop up at the end of the season to get almost completely sidelined with an immortal turtle. People are just losing patience, and it's definitely not going to be one of those shows where I'm going to go back and be like, it's not like I'm going to like laugh and say I told you so, but it's just it's so it was so not my show, and if people can forgive its faults, then sure, but it's definitely not going to be something that I'm going to be picking up anytime soon. Shikimori and Aharon-san were both things that I read a good chunk of the manga chapters for, but Aharon-san is still kind of charming, whereas Shikimori in both the manga and apparently the anime as well just got really one note and really repetitive. So it's just... I watched the first episode of Shikimori and it was just, okay, yeah, no, this is, this, this is, this is the anime, this is definitely the adaptation. And it just definitely wasn't one that I came back to and decided to, where it's like, no, it's fine, I'm, I know what this is, I don't think I'm going to get anything out of this adaptation, so I'll kind of leave it. And then the only place where Data Live ever comes into contact, or any, or comes into the collective zeitgeist, is whenever um, our anime runs its best girl competitions. And for some fucking reason, a good chunk of Data Live's characters, even though barely anybody has ever fucking heard of it, I don't even fucking know what's going on in there, always consistently make a decent high seed, as well as a good chunk of them make it into the contest and in the top 512. And I'm just so fucking confused at, as to how passionate these fans are about this particular show, and the fact that Data Live is apparently going to be getting a fifth season on top of the fourth one that just came out now. And it's just, okay, I'm not even going to try to understand, like, what this is, because I've heard, I've heard it's nothing but, like, that kind of, like, harem trash setup with a couple of cool powers and only one girl who has a clock in her eye. That's apparently, like, the piece de resistance that's the most popular out of all the girls, and it's just, I don't, it's, I don't know, it's just not worth it. Um, but now for the stuff that I actually did watch, I'll finally give, like, one more time, I know I've mentioned it several times before in other episodes, but it's just, we finally got through and completed the second half of Owl House's second season, I absolutely adored it, it's just been building on itself, on its world, on its characters, in so many glorious ways, and it's just created such a lovable cast that I really want to go see and succeed at the end, leaving us on an incredibly tough cliffhanger, and to just leave us in the dark after everything that has happened. And I still fucking hate Disney, considering that this would have definitely been a series that got 
that would have been able to live up to its full potential if it gotten, I don't know, a full third season, but still, I'm gonna continuously tell Disney to go fuck themselves, considering that it's like, if it doesn't fit your brand, then just fucking say, we don't want... <laughs> well, of course they can't say, no, we don't want, you know, a lesbian or a gay relationship inside of our series. Of course they can't fucking say that, so of course they're just going to be vague, and they're not going to give the full fucking picture, and then they're just going to say, well, you know what... We'll give them a final season, but it's only going to be a third of the size of what they should have officially gotten. And it's like, okay, yeah, no. I do, I did like, who was it that mentioned? It was, um, I don't think it was Sarcastic Chorus. It was another, it was another YouTuber that ended up doing like a full, like 50 minute long video of what they appreciated about the second season. And if I look at it as the Owl House movie, because it's going to be about two hours and 15 minutes of content... And if I look at it that way, it stings a little less, but the fact that it didn't get a full season and instead we're basically getting a movie is still just a fucking slap to the face to everybody who enjoyed the series, everybody who's trying to petition this to like, get up on to the Disney board, but of course they're not really going to give a shit about this series, which is definitely, it all comes back, and it's definitely making it a lot more difficult to for animators to have full creative freedom inside the majority of their works, especially with how Netflix has been going downhill, and they're canning a lot of their projects, and they're not going to be putting as much money into their others as they were as frivolously in the past. So it's like being able to freely animate series is becoming tougher in inside of North America, and that's just fucking a travesty in terms of the creative freedoms and liberties that are not going to be given to anybody in this time. And then I guess to finish off with the, I don't know, kind of like the mundane and the iffy parts of this season, I uh, like Daemon, Daemon, something along those lines was easily the weakest thing that I finished where it was where I was five to six episodes in and it's just okay I might as well just fucking finish it because it's I've got times two speed I've got the playback option I can at least go through and like complete it and add it to the list but no it was I was definitely roped in with the premise and the uh, and the opportunity to go back and get those same Usagi drop vibes the Usagi drop anime not the not the manga <laughs> I know exactly how the manga ends but Getting that kind of found father-daughter relationship was definitely something that I was interested in, but I didn't really catch on to the main two in the first two episodes, and then with what the opening was showing, it's like, oh, we have all these other characters. How are they going to interact, and how are they going to like add to the story? Not a lot. Not a lot. Everything else is boring. The most interesting part was um, the trans woman that we ended up getting in either the third or fourth episode, and I would have loved to kind of see what she would have been able to add to it, but guess what? She only got one fucking episode, so it's just, okay, so we're just going to forget about her for the rest of the show. And so we don't really have the opportunity to go through for the rest of it. I mean, just, so we're going to be getting the ex that comes back, and still one of the weirdest fucking breakups slash will, are they, aren't they relationships, where it's just, she thinks that he just left, and he thinks that she left, and they both don't really know that neither of them, because they can't fucking communicate with each other, because they're both in their late 20s, and they still have no fucking idea how to do that. It's like, okay, great, so you're, you just have the same emotional maturity as the majority of the teenagers that are popping up in this series, so awesome, fantastic, I can't necessarily, like, give you any high hopes. And then we also have, of course, the, you know, 17, 18-year-old girl who also works at the confectionery shop, and it's just like, oh, well, she's also got a crush on him. It's like, oh, great. Well, 
glad to see that uh, she's going to be having, like, she's got music, and she's got her family, and I really hope they focused more on her family and all the trials and tribulations, but it's like, no, we're only going to give her one episode, too. It's just, okay, well, I'm glad that we decided to dry this thing to its utmost abysmal potential for all the pieces that they had at their disposal, and it was definitely less than the sum of its parts. So that was definitely unfortunate. It was definitely the weakest thing that I watched at the end of the season, and that's kind of going through. And I guess for, like, sequel seasons, Komi-san Season 2 was, like, one of the only shows where it was fine. It was a fine adaptation. The, the biggest drop in quality I have probably ever seen in a fucking adaptation was either Episode 10 or 11, it was the second last episode of the series, so I think it was 11, where it was the shoddiest character animation background in between. Just everything was the most abysmal quality that I had ever seen, where it was just, they they had decent stuff for episode 10 and episode 12, but they just completely forgot that the number 11 existed, and it's just, oh, fuck, we actually have to animate this. Uh, and it was like, if you want to see like one of the poorest animated uh, episodes that, that probably came out this season, then go and watch uh, Comey's uh, second season, episode 11. Like, that was just abysmal. It was comedic. It was comical how bad it was. Oh my god, at least that got a laugh out of me. Um, like, everything else, I was hoping they would finally get to one specific character where it would make the dynamic a lot more interesting, but she only ended up getting... You only saw the back of her head at the end of season two, and it's like, okay, well... Honestly, with how lukewarm I felt about this entire series as a whole, I don't think I'll just wait around long enough. I'll see people's reactions to the character that they're going to inevitably in uh, interact and introduce inside of Season 3, but I think this is the last season of Komi that I'm going to watch, because I'm also falling off of the manga as well, because it's just not really hitting the same way, and they changed the dynamic a bit, but it still feels so samey by comparison. I just, I don't know. It, it's definitely a series that I've fallen off over the past couple of months, and it's just something that I probably won't jump back into anytime soon. Okay, enough of the depressing, lukewarm stuff. Let's actually get to the stuff that I watched that I actually enjoyed. So, when I mentioned back that this was a incredibly surprising anime season that popped up, it was just... All these shows that I had either no expectations for or just lukewarm stuff that I had absolutely, like, no feeling that this was going to be as good as it was going to be. Uh, Ya Boy Kong Ming is basically a summarization about everything that was good about this season. It was... It came out of nowhere. Uh, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms aspect, even though I have no idea what any of that history is, was definitely used to great effect in bringing out the best in all the characters that they were going through. Kong Ming is basically one of... Uh, the best protagonist that I saw inside of the season, and he's probably going to be one of the better ones, like, leading into for the rest of the year. It's just that his charisma, his knowledge, his intellect, even though he's completely out of time and thrown for a loop, the fact how easily he's able to go through um, and readapt to this new modern life and how he's able to help everybody else around him was definitely something that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I don't know. It was just such an incredible experience. I was able to finally catch up uh, to the final day for the final episode because I definitely jumped in like really late, like week 10. I finally uh, ended up giving it a watch and it was enjoyable all the way through. A lot of good music, a lot of good rap, a lot of good feels, a lot of good characters, just a really good time. And I'm really hoping considering the large streaming numbers that it was able to go through and procure throughout its entire run will lead to a second season. And that's all I can hope for at this point.
the one show that's going to be continuing into the summer season that I'm definitely going to be keeping up on is Summertime Render. And the only reason at the beginning of this season that I even ended up giving it a shot was because it's one of the only anime that Disney Plus decided to procure and license on their own specific platform. Of course, it was already going through in Japan, so all the episodes are out now and it's going to be bleeding into the next season. It's definitely going to be something that I hope that people, like, jump into. There's a lot of, like, really bad anime tropiness in the first couple of episodes. Like, there are completely unnecessary panty shots that, because of the rules of the world, it gets repeated again and again. Um, but the storytelling, the setup, the conflict, the payoff, the ultimate endgame that the characters inside of this mystery thriller are trying to avoid is just something that is incredibly compelling and really interesting. It's it's really taken me back to something along the lines of like Higurashi, where it's kind of the same aspect, same mechanic, but there is a lot of good stuff to be said about the doppelgangers, about the shadows, about all of the mystery, about trying to keep up everything inside of your head while all of these events happen simultaneously. It's just a really well thought out and a really well procured adaptation through this series, and I believe it's done by OLM. I'm really excited to see how this is going to be moving forward and how the climax is going to uh, inevitably end uh, once we get through and finish the final half of this series in the summer season, so I'm really excited to see how this is going to go. I mean, if you want to wait until it comes out, Whenever on Disney Plus, I can definitely do that and definitely give it a full recommendation, but there are other ways to go and procure it, and I would definitely recommend that considering that it has been an absolute blast going through all the events and all the theories that have been popping up for this series, and it is definitely the dark horse of this season. Uh, so now I guess we can finally get to the two most popular series that ended up popping up. So one which is an adaptation done by, I believe, Studio Wit and Studio Cloverworks, which is Spy Family. I was really curious to see how this was going to go because I haven't gone back to reread any of the original chapters from when I ended up starting it. Because I think I was back on like chapter two or chapter three when this was officially starting publication. And it was really funny, um, a lot of good action, a lot of good characters. Some definitely got more limelight than others, and I really, and I do believe that, I don't know, Yor is definitely the most underutilized character out of the entire bunch, and I definitely don't like um, how Yuri is able to, or what he was able to be incorporated into this. It's definitely, the found family trope inside of this series is definitely the one that drives it. Anya is definitely the little Mimi goblin that I expected her to be as soon as she was able to go through and get enough faces and enough episodes and enough screen time and enough waka waku to get everybody else invested in her. I knew that she was just going to be the meme character and the prime, I don't know, piece on social media that everybody was going to share because yes, she's incredibly cute. Yes, she's just a little like shit-posting gremlin like she's just so ridiculous in terms of how she's able to act but it's just the best thing that i didn't really get uh out of the manga is that in this one she legitimately acts like a six-year-old where it's just you have so many shows inside of anime with all these uh, ch uh children inside of their shows that don't act like they're six that don't act like they're nine or four or eight they're always just 
emotionally mature enough to read every single scenario. And then finally in this, we get a child, an actual child that acts like a child. And she's just so naive, but she's so lovable and fun. And she's got the same kind of manic energy that you would imagine everybody else around that age would. And she's, you know, and like everybody says at the end of the day, she's just adorable to have on screen. And she's incredibly fun to be the middle ground where all these crazy things bounce around in terms of what everybody else is going through. Lloyd is just the right amount of, you know, caring, sentimental father that's coming into this new role that he has to learn in order to complete his mission. But he's also incredibly, you know, adept and like the most adept person inside of the series. And so it's just really kind of fun to see how he's able to interact and figure out how to complete the next mission that's been thrown at his uh, feet. And yeah, I think arguably like the best episode was the one that was arguably just filler where it was the castle that Lloyd ended up renting just to go through. I think it was like half a chapter long, but they ended up using that entire one to just make a story around it to help celebrate Anya finally getting into the school that she never thought that she would be able to get into. And just the action, the choreography, the music, the evident Lloyd versus Yor fight was like really entertaining to watch. And yeah, I don't know. This show was a good adaptation of a good manga, and it's just a really good time to go through. And it's an easy recommendation to anybody who's like looking to get into anime as well. I was thinking that it was going to be stretched into like a two core, uh, like season by season, but it's going to be split in this case. So it's just going to add to the amount of crazy shit that's going to be happening in fall 2022. But yeah, we're not going to be able to get the next um, Spy Family episode out until I guess it's going to be October. Now, I was definitely curious to see how this adaptation was going to roll out and what they were going to be able to adapt and expand and intensify and just improve. Even though the manga itself is incredibly well written, it's really funny, really sweet, really nostalgic, and just really, for lack of a better term, romantic. And Kaguya Season 3 was easily everything I could have expected and more. It is now, I would say, now that we're three seasons in, it is the best rom-com in anime, period. It, like, just bar none. The... The one that definitely held, like, the next best rom-com spot for me personally would have been Oran High School Host Club. I would definitely give that a recommendation and give that a watch if you have the opportunity. But it's just what this adaptation in particular was able to do because the manga itself is already incredibly funny, incredibly well thought out, well paced, well set because Akka is a really fucking good storyteller and he's really good at bringing classic tropes into a modern setting and making them well uh, meld in such a way where it just amplifies both to the nth degree. But what Shinichi Omada is able to bring to this series as a director and storyboarder for this entire adaptation just amplifies an already great source material into just absolute classic territory. Because it's just, I understand that it is A1 Pictures and it's Aniplex, so they have, I would imagine they've got a lot of legal rights to a lot of different things to add, but the, the movie references, the TV references, the music references, basically everything that's universally underneath that umbrella, they use it to the best possible way. 
in that all of these small fucking references just make me laugh my ass off in how they were able to fit it in and make it meld so naturally with all the crazy shit that's going on. It's just such a fucking good show. Easily, like, the best rom-com out there at the moment, and it's still going to be getting another season of anime that's going to come out, I don't know, end of 2023, maybe the beginning of 2024. I'm just glad that we're going to be getting more uh, Kaguya's. Because it's just a fantastic series, and it's definitely something that you can honestly recommend to like anybody getting the anime as well. Like it is also a really good starting point. Besides the first episode, the first episode is really slow. I didn't think it was that funny, but as soon as you get past the first episode and the rest of the cast is introduced and integrated into this story, and even though there are so many different pieces, so many different characters like bouncing off of each other, some characters that didn't even have a name until this third season, everything inside of the show has just such a degree of polish and aptitude that it's just so fucking good at everything it does. The comedy is stellar, the romance is really engaging, you really want to see everybody inside of this cast like reach their own happy ending. It's just... Dude, it's so great. It is It is just such a good show and gets an easy recommendation. I'm trying to think about where the manga is going. I think it's pretty close. I think it's like in its final uh, arc. So call it by the end of this year, the Kaguya manga will be over. So it's still like considering how far A1 has taken this adaptation, I definitely think that they will go and complete the manga in its entirety, but I don't know. I'm just really curious to see like how everybody else reacts because yeah, I really did enjoy the finale of this season, especially how they made it a two-parter considering how important this part of the story was. And I don't know, it passed with flying colors. Everything about this show is almost perfect, and I really can't recommend it enough to like bring everybody into this world, into this adaptation, and just hopefully have as much fun pointing out all the idiocrit and hopefully have as much fun pointing out all the idiosyncrasies and all the pieces that make this show the marvel that it is. And so now I can finally get to the show, which explains why this episode was released a day late, considering that this one, in particular, always came out at, like, 8 p.m. Pacific time on a Tuesday, which was always going to be, like, running into it, but it's like, ah, uh, you know, I'll be able to hold it off for a day and get the majority of it done uh, beforehand, and then I'll be able to finally edit in the last of this piece just so we can get everything out relatively close together. But, yeah, no, surprising, like I said before, in terms of how this entire season has gone is... Just the most apt way I can descript Birdie Wing. <laughs> it's there's no other way. I've already like gone through this at the beginning of the season and towards the end of it. Definitely considering how fucking crazy <laughs> this show is, while keeping it inside a relatively like tame, down to earth kind of sorta way in terms of like how they ended up putting out their story structure. But it's just so fucking crazy that. This show in particular, with the director and the series composition and fucking Bandai Namco Pictures of all studios that ended up animating this, was able to make a story about golf exciting and just chaotic. It's just 
there's so much fun to be had with this series, even though you don't give a fuck about golf, even though there's absolutely nothing to, like, oath here. It's like, okay, she hits the ball really well. Holy shit, she's able to get the ball really close to the hole. It's like, yeah, that's basically all you really need to know. And then everything around it, essentially the window dressing around the sport, is some of the most enigmatic and dynamic window dressing that you've seen <laughs> in its entirety. Because, I mean, just everything that revolves around this story from... The chick shooting a fucking golf ball through a moving train from the sexy lesbian vampire golfer that likes to make bets on people's lives and just take them home for the night between the fucking Tokyo 3-esque golf stadium that can be reorganized and reformed into any random piece and any random hole layout that they could think of is just absolutely fucking insane enough for it to work. And thankfully for the majority of the series, it keeps putting its foot on the gas consistently because the only way that you could make us take any of this seriously is if that is going to be your calling card. That is going to be the way that this show presents itself and it doesn't let go of that identity. And I did like that. I do feel like it lost a bit of its luster when about two-thirds of the way through the first season, it ended up going to an all-girls high school that plays golf and it's just... Yeah, okay, so now we're hamming it up anime style, I guess, considering how they were able to go through and make this anyways. But because you're still invested enough in the characters and their trials and how exactly they're supposed to go and move forward in this crazy world centered around golf is definitely, like, more than enough to, like, keep you invested and keep you entertained, especially when it's like, okay, well... Yep, they're going to be going up against the best high school golfers in the country, and therefore the world, as the majority of these uh, anime sports shows go. It is just such a fun and entertaining ride all the way through, considering how well they're able to like play it all with a straight face, kind of like with a fifth element energy that just... All this insane shit is happening, but it's totally it'll, it totally makes sense in the world that it's trying to inhabit. So no matter how crazy and how off the wall it gets, just there's more than enough charm throughout the characters and the rest of the cast that actually like make you still have the opportunity to find golf interesting. Because <laughs> it's none of this shit would ever happen, but still, it's more than enough of an entertaining romp to keep everybody invested and everybody going, and even. Like, the deeper you look into it, the crazier it gets, considering that, for me in particular, it was like, okay, so who exactly would put this kind of gamble on a golf series that is, I'm pretty sure, entirely original? Yeah, it's entirely original. So, it's like Bandai Namco, who ended up, so, like, they've done, you know... Demon School Iruma-kun, they've done Aikatsu on Parade, Aikatsu-san, they've done the later seasons of Gintama... Like, they've still had a lot of stuff going through. I think uh, Cestivus, the Roman fighter, went out on Netflix, but that was, like, an entirely CG endeavor, so that was really fucking weird. And just out of nowhere, they're like, yeah, no, we're just going to make this fucking golf-centric show out of nowhere, and the only reason that we're going to be able to go through and give people more than enough an opportunity is that two of the main characters are going to be complete Gundam fanatics, and so at least there, there will be an opportunity for us to put our product placement, like, smack dab in the middle of it. And thankfully, it's not overbearing, even though it is a big chunk of two of these characters' personalities, but still, it's never intrusive enough to make them know where their true strengths and their true passions lie, which is just watching all this ridiculous fucking golf happen before their eyes. And I think the only other, like, major thing to pop up where it's like, okay, so how the fuck... Who, who would write something like this? Who exactly would be going through and making something as crazy as this, like, pop it up? So it's like, 
looking back um, on Yosuke Kuroda's backlog, it's definitely more than enough of a reason for him to be, like, already included in this, and definitely somebody who would be more than enough to take a script this crazy and then just completely flip it on its head. I mean, he ended up doing, so, the Sword Art Online alternative Gun Gale Online, so it's the one with, like, the tiny pink chick with the pink uh, P90, was it? I mean, he ended up doing Drifters, he did Valkyrie Drive Mermaid, he helped out with Jor the script in Jormund Gun, he helped with the composition for High School of the Dead, Phantom Requiem for the Phantom, half of the episodes in Helsing Ultimate. Oh, and Speak of the Devil, he ended up fucking doing the script and series composition for Trigun. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's so, it definitely seems like this kind of crazy underground is so up his alley that he would just naturally be able to make a script that would line up to it. The only other thing I would point out in his work is that he ended up doing this random original show back in the early 2000s called Madlax. And the only reason why I bring that up is because one of the two countries inside of this series that, even though I've never watched, is named after the same country that... Eve ends up living in for the first, like, eight episodes or so, and that's in Nefris. And so, like, 18 years later, he's still making references to his old shows, and that is honestly pretty fucking tight. So, no, he was definitely perfect for the script and series composition for this show, just absolutely no doubt about it. And thankfully, on the same day, on the Tuesday before any of this was going, and definitely expected because of how long this tournament is expected to last, that... We're definitely going to be getting a second season of this, and it's going to be coming out, I think, in January of 2023. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to wait on that. But this was easily my, like, biggest pleasant surprise of the entire season, considering just, yeah, I play golf, and I don't watch that much. I'll probably watch a round of tour golf a year, and most of it is just me going on the course and heading out to the driving range. But still, the fact is, is that this team did the impossible. And that was actually making golf one of the most boring spectator sports imaginable, entertaining, fun, chaotic, and overall just a blast of a time to actually making for, at least personally, one of my most enjoyable experiences of the season. So I'm really curious to see how the majority of this is going to turn out. I'm going to try and see what I'm going to be doing because I'm going to be heading out on a trip for the majority of July, but I'm going to try and work around it, and we're just going to kind of see what happens. So, uh, cheers.